I'm going to start off with a passage this morning that I didn't have in my notes until right before I, I came out a while ago. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm going to sit here the whole service. Some of us need to be cultured a little bit and what a controlled uh, preacher does. He sits and he just reads and he's real methodical and, and he just does what he's supposed to do, setting still. And uh, so Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 says this, And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims over unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the, the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, Lord, send me. One of the most important things that you and I will ever experience is when you come to the place in your life that you say, Lord, send me. Don't send them, don't fix them, Lord fix me, Lord change me, Lord do this work in my life. There's nothing greater in your life that can happen until the, at that point. I'm going to share a story, I've got two little short stories I'm going to read out of one of Max Licato's books. If you're a Max Licato fan, I don't know how many of his books I have. The reason I like them a lot of times is, is the paragraphs are like three pages, yes, and uh, there's not many pictures like I used to read, but the pages, it doesn't matter. Let's just go to uh, my first article. It's by the, a lady by the name of Billy. One evening in 1954, Billy Sicard resigned from life. No official announcement was made. No papers were signed. But still, she resigned. For all practical purposes, Billy decided to live no longer. Her spirit died in 1954. Her body died in 1979. On that evening in 1954, Billy's only reason to live left her. Her 12-year-old son, George, died of a brain tumor. Little George's death left Billy prisoned inside a vacuum. She had been 34, she had been 34 when, she had, when, he, when she had born him. After her husband left, little George became her life. When he died, his death became hers. She was very well-to-do. Billy lived on an exclusive street, no, exclusive Sunset Island in Miami since 1937. After her death, the house went up for auction an auction price of $226,000, yet all of this was very immaterial to Billy. Her life had been her child. They say that after George died in a New York City hospital, the body was brought to her home for a wake. After displaying the body for a day in the house of Mrs. Sicard, the funeral director came to remove it. She refused to let him. For several days, she mourned behind locked doors before she gave the body up. It was nothing for Billy to go on a shopping spree and spend a hundred dollars on toys for George. In 1979, when her body was found, so were the toys, exactly as her son had left them. Nothing was packed, nothing was moved. For 25 years, Billy had roamed in a house full of toys and a heart full of memories. But when the house was sold after her death, little George's Cub Scout uniform was still hanging in the downstairs coat closet. On the wall was a child's sketch of a choo-choo train drawn in red crayon. She had never washed it off. His Mickey Mouse slippers sat in the corner of his bedroom. In the garage sat a 1941 Packard, that's a car, a gift that she had given to little George on his 10th birthday. 
When Billy resigned from life, she became a social recluse. Her yard became a jungle. Her home became a source of ghost stories and old wives' tales. She overate. She withdrew. And she didn't care. Billy resigned. Her life stands as a quiet legacy to all of us. Man must have something larger than death. Or death will take the man. Life is often not very pleasant, and it's often very challenging. But there's one thing about life that we all have to understand is that we are responsible for this life. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 19. I am responsible for my life. I am responsible for my life, and I am taking responsibility for how my life is going. Now, oftentimes we try to say other reasons and reasons or why my life has ended the way it has or the reason I've went down the path I have and, and I've made the decisions I have. And it's so often, man, most of the time, most of the time in America, we always say the blame is somewhere else. And it's become such a reoccurring thing that he, from the White House to the, all the poli- political leaders to the local government to schools to mothers and parents, fathers and mothers of their kids, the kids themselves, it's always somebody else's fault. But let me ask you, when are you and I going to finally realize that it isn't always somebody else that's caused the issue, but that it's us? We can point the blame and we can say it's other people, but you and I determine how our future go. I'm not saying that things haven't happened bad because I've experienced them. I'm not going to tell you that I haven't experienced tragedy. I have and disappointment and hurts and, and some very troubling things at times. But I'll tell you this. I am responsible for how my life goes. I am responsible for the decisions I make. I am responsible for the outcome of my life based on the decisions I make. And I want you to go to the book of 1 Kings in chapter 19 and verse 19. And, and so he departed thence and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12, he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him, and he cast his mantle upon him. This was nothing more, but there was something to come. And Elisha understood that when the mantle fell upon him, regardless of his opportunity at home, he left his opportunity at home. We'll continue to read. And he left the oxen, and he went after Elijah, and he said, Let me pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. And he, went, and he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back and he, from him, and he took the yoke of oxen, and he slew them, and boiled their flesh. And the instruments of the oxen and gave them to the people and they did eat. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he ministered unto him. Now here's the deal. Elisha had a decision to make. And regardless of who you are this morning, there is a line in the sand that you have to make a decision. Regardless of what one you make, you have to learn to live with the decision you made. Now can we go back and correct them? Yes. Can we avoid certain things? Yes. But it always boils down upon me. Everything in my life and my future is hinging on the decisions I make. Is there terrible accidents? Yes. And those are exceptions. But the reality is most of our issues are because of poor decision making. And Elisha was one that said, I've got a decision to make. He could have blamed Elijah. Why did he ever come by? Why would he even come by and throw his mantle on me? Doesn't he know that he messed up everything in my future? Doesn't he know that I had plans of staying home and, and being a big farmer like my mom and my dad and my uncles? We had a huge farm. And didn't he know I had, a, I had an invested interest in this? I already had my own team of oxen. I had everything I could imagine. I had a big John Deere, 700 horsepower, whatever they are. Big old John Deere tractor. I was set. But the mantle was cast and he had a decision to make. This morning you are here for whatever reason, but you have a decision to make. 
And you can blame it on me, or you can blame it on your brother, or you can blame it on your family, your spouse, or your kids. But it doesn't matter who brought you or who got you here. This is your decision to make. And the outcome of this decision will be with you from this day forward. If it's time to quit, or it's time to change, or it's time to embrace, I know in Ecclesiastes it says there's a, there's a season for everything. And Elisha knew this decision had to be made by him. He didn't blame Elijah. He just embraced him. 2 Kings chapter 2. You're at the end of 1 Kings, so go to chapter 2. And I've shared this passage just recently. But Elisha's life went into servant mode instead of being a boss, a boss farmer. He went into a servant's mode instead of being one that people looked at. and Instead of being a provider that he had been doing and saving his money to buy more ground and, and to buy another tractor, if you will, or another team of oxen. And all these things that he thought he had plans for, he, everything went on, 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 on kind of wait or, or whatever would take place because of this decision. And then when we go to chapter, chapter 2 of 2 Kings, things didn't really change a lot. It was still frustrating to some degree. Let me just stop here for a minute. Uh, Remember, some of you will remember the life of Elisha when he was independent contractor, independent farmer, however you want to look at it. At this point, he had to put all that on hold to become somebody else's servant. You know what it is to be somebody's servant? You no longer make your own decisions. You, make the, you be, react on, based on their decisions. Hey, Elisha, would you go fix the supper? Yes, sir. Hey, Elisha, would you go down to the, mail, to the post office and get our mail and come back and read it and tell me what's important and what's not? Servanthood is not always glamorous, but servanthood always prepares us for leadership. When you cannot be a servant, you will never be a proper leader. And Elisha knew the, the, the respect that people had for Elijah, and he knew it wasn't lightly that he cast a mantle upon him. And so he embraced the opportunity and the change, and he began to listen. But then he goes to chapter 2, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Chapter 2 and verse 2, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee. Because the Lord has sent me to Bethel. He told him to wait, and he says, no, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go with you. Go to chapter, verse 4, and it says, And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, I pray thee, because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth my soul, and thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So he went with him to Jericho. Verse 6. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Here's the deal. There is a time in our life whenever we make a decision, and we've said some other things in order in our life. It doesn't matter what obstructions or what we feel like. Somebody may not want us anymore, may not value us, and, and may not even be embracing us. But you continue to do what you're supposed to do. Because I guarantee you that Elisha was beginning to get frustrated. How many of you women, when you first were married or you were dating your husband, how many of you all, your husband always opened the door for you everywhere you went? How many of you still now, don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you still now, everywhere you go, your husband is there opening the door? Don't raise your hand. He's still there opening it. What changed? What it changes is we lose the value of that decision. When you lose the value of the decision you've made, you begin to regress backwards. Elisha made a decision to follow after Elijah and do whatever he said. But if he had began to stop being his servant and stop going wherever he went and doing whatever he went, he would have never become and he would have never experienced what God had wanted him to experience. Go down to verse 9. He expected his role to change. He was anticipating something. When it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I should do for you before I be taken away from thee. 
And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if not, it shall not be unto you. And we know right after this, the Lord came in a chair to fire whirlwind and took up Elijah. And Elisha seen it, and the mantle fell, and he went and picked it up. And you may wonder, well, what does that have to do with anything? If you do not stick to your right decision-making, regardless of how long you're a servant, regardless of how long it takes to get there, friend, you will never receive the double part that God wanted. I shared a, a scenario this morning with, with a, a father in our church making a decision and made it years ago. And because of the decision he's made, other people in his family are beginning to embrace Christ. Why? Because he made a decision. He hasn't regressed. He hasn't went backwards. He's hung on to that just like Elisha. He may have abandoned everything else he had ever been. And friend, you may have to abandon everything else you've ever been to be who God wants you to be. But if you'll hang on to it, he's got great provision. Now we're going to go somewhere else with this in just a moment. He expected his role to change. He knew that all this servanthood and serving Elijah all these years was just for a season. Your work, your trying season, your battles will all change. But we are responsible for how we follow through those changes. We know that he received the mantle and went and struck the water and the, the rest is history in the life of Elisha. I'd like you to go to the book of Mark, if you will. Because I'm going to give you a a comparison between two disciples and their lives and decisions they made. And who maintained it even after some rocky roads and some mess-ups. Chapter 14 of Mark, verse 3. And being in Bethany, in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, he came and meet, and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head, and there was some... They had indignation and went within themselves. So why was this waste of ointment made? And for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, why have you troubled this lady? Let's drop it there. Verse 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him and to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. I want to tell you that here's the deal. Judas was jealous, frustrated. Things hadn't went the way he wanted. Something aggravated him. So he thought, I'm going to go betray Jesus. And when he betrayed him, he made a decision. And he didn't hang on to the decision he'd had before. But the biggest thing is he made an excuse for his decision. I don't know if it was jealousy, the attention Jesus got. But Judas's row, he felt like he was unappreciated. He went instantly to go find this. And if you go to Luke chapter 22, we'll see the scenario that went on in Luke's life. Luke 22, verse 47. I'm going to go back here for just a second. I don't know all that went on in Judas's mind. I think he was intelligent. I think he was very gifted. But I think he got sidetracked on some things. And, and friend, you can be the exact same way. You can have all these great things going on in your life, and you're following the Master, you're following Jesus, you're doing all these right things. But once a little bit of something comes in that shouldn't be there, whether it's jealousy or, or whatever the scenario may be, it can so mess up your view of who he is in your life and his importance in your life. In chapter 22, verse 47, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, and he drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Why was this? 
Was this any big deal? Was this really a, a unique thing that took place? I'll tell you the difference. <clears throat> when Judas had got to the place of betrayal, he set some other things in motion in his life. And when he betrayed the Lord and Jesus was arrested, well, this is not the end of the story with Judas. Go down to, a little bit farther. Go, down, go to Matthew, if you will, in chapter 27. And this is how we're going to close the end in the life of, of Judas. Chapter 27, verse 3 says, And Judas, when he had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself, and he brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. What was the problem here? You may think, well, where's he going? This is where I'm going. We're going to look at Peter next. What's up, Tinsley? Whenever Judas was busted and Judas had betrayed and he came to a place of repentance, he didn't put any effort with it. Let me tell you what happens to people who don't bring repentance in when when they've been shown that they're wrong. When you're here this morning and we just embrace whatever and we don't think it's a big deal the decisions we make or how we view our Christian walk or our walk with Jesus... When you leave here and you just kind of abandon it all, it's amazing how we open the door for other things. And, and this man himself opened the door and went through the silver back because he knew it was blood money and he wanted to do it over, but he couldn't. So instead of going and repenting and going to Jesus and trying to repent or go back to the disciples and getting things in order, he went out and hung himself. You know how many people in this world go out and spiritually hang themselves? Not physically, but spiritually. Because they get frustrated with where they are and they think there's no way of getting back. And so they take on the nature of Judas because they betrayed not only him, but they also betrayed themselves. Let's go, if you will, to the book of Mark. I know we're going through a lot of scripture this morning, but I want to show you something about Peter. Mark in chapter 14. Mark 14, we're going to look at verse 29. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever made a promise? I promise I'll never do it again. I will never do it again. Oh, my goodness, I would never do that. I can't believe I did that. I would never do it again. We made promises. How many of you have ever broken a promise? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me make it a little more personal. How many of you have ever made a promise to God? And you said, Lord, I will never do this. I will never go back. I will never do that. I will never have another setback. You don't have to nod your head or raise your hand on this, but many of us have fallen on our face after we made an agreement with him. Haven't we? Yeah, we have. Here we have Peter. Chapter 14, verse 29. And Peter said unto them, said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said unto him, Tell you the truth, Peter, that this day, even even in this night, before the cock shall crow twice, you shall deny me three times. I'm putting that in well easier English. But he spake it the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. There was something about Peter. He was loud. He wasn't sneaky. It wasn't hard to figure out what Peter was thinking. Have you, you got anybody in the family, you always know what they're thinking because as soon as it runs in their head, it, it proceeds out of their mouth. Have you ever had somebody in your family you wish they would just shut up or okay, be quiet, hush? You ever had anyone like that? Peter was that guy in the crowd. You ever got in a crowd and, and everybody's talking about how big a fish they caught and his is always bigger? 
That's Peter. You ever been in a crowd when, you know, I can jump, you know, I can vertically stand and jump and touch, you know, eight foot two or something, you know. That's, some of you will get that, some of you won't. But I can do all these things, and Peter's always the competitive guy. He's always the verbal one. That's Peter. You think Jesus understood Peter? The same way he understood Judas. And the thing that's different about Peter, though, even in his error, he didn't stay in that error of his mentality. Peter was passionate for Christ. He was energetic. He was persuaded that nothing was going to change him. Nothing was going to make him go backwards. Nothing was going to change him from the decision he made to follow Christ. Verse 54. And Peter followed from afar off, even to the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. What had happened in just a matter of hours changed his life and showed him who he really wasn't. You know, it's amazing in the midst of our, our most tempting times that we begin to abandon our most impressionable decision that we made to follow him. Things changed, and Peter got sidetracked. Go to Matthew, if you will, in chapter 26. Matthew 26. Verse 60. Verse 69. <clears throat> now Peter sat without in the palace, and a, a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou hast also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what you say. And when he was gone out onto the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, uh, Yeah, you were there, and this fellow was, was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And he again denied with an oath, and I do not know the man. After a while came unto him, and, and they stood by, and he said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth you. And he began to what? Curse and swear, and vehemently say he did not know who Jesus was. Isn't that crazy? Verse 75, no, verse 74. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock shall crow, you shall deny me thrice. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. What was the difference in Judas and Peter? They both made a decision to follow, just like with Elisha. They both gave up their careers and everything was laying before them to follow Christ. But whenever they had made a mistake, when they had made a mistake, it totally ruined everything in the life of Judas. But Peter found true what? Repentance at that moment. We're going to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and, and get that song ready that, that I wanted you to, uh, to do for closing. Peter wept bitterly with repentance, and it changed him. Judas quit. Peter remained. We can all make excuses of why we quit. We can make all make excuses of what was done to us or how it was done or the words that were said or what was treated, whatever. We can all make excuses for the decisions we make and how we behave. But, friend, here's the deal. It still is your decision to make. You all know my stories. I've told you the horror of my past. I've told you the things I've been through from a child and then as I got older as an adult. You've seen the things our family has been through. But it doesn't matter. It's still our decision to make on what we embrace and what we won't embrace. And there is no excuse in anyone's life in this place to choose the wrong decision. There is no excuse. It's simply because that's what you prefer to make or you feel that you're worthy of making that type of decision. We can all make excuses of why, but it always remains, it always will be us that makes them. In Acts chapter 3, I want to share something with you whenever you make the right decisions. This same guy that was just with Jesus, actually just a very few hours earlier, was out denying him, acting like he'd never seen him, never heard of him. 
And then he went to a place called Jerusalem, and they were waiting for the Feast of Passover. And while they were there for Passover, it was the day of Pentecost came, and, and they were in this upper room. 120 people were praying because they were still under scrutiny, and people were looking at them and, and judging them, and the Jews were tra- still trying to capture them and, and kind of get rid of this thing called Christianity. In the book of Acts in chapter 3, after Pentecost, something happened in the life of Peter. Now, Peter and John, verse 1, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, and they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked of alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know what the difference was? Judas wanted the silver and the gold. Jesus wanted, uh, Peter wanted Jesus. What a way to end. What a way to understand the decisions you make. If you want the notoriety and you want the publicity and you want the popularity and you want the money and all the things the world can give, you will always feel shortened. And when it comes time to die, you're going to feel like you, li- you lost something. I'm going to read one more story, and this is our closing. And we're going to sing a song that's one of my favorite, and, and I asked them if they would do it, and they agreed. And I'm going to read this to you about a guy who didn't understand life. And sometimes this is where we get. Let me introduce you to Leo. I used to eat breakfast at a Cuban restaurant near my house. It was a brief, brisk walk and a good opportunity to think out my plans for the day. My thoughts were interrupted one morning, however, by a spry, unabashed, old gent sporting a golf cap and dirty work pants and he didn't look his 66 years you a student son i guess he saw my bible and notebook i've got some college textbooks for sale so i followed him to an empty house cluttered with lamps books and end tables all for sale he was moving he explained i need to get rid of all this stuff one topic led to another and soon we were sitting talking leo with his questions about the pope the bible and souls and me with my questions about leo His history was colorful. A depression kid sold Franks at Yankee Stadium and programs at Madison Square Garden. A taxi driver in Miami, yet yet, although his life was full of experience, his face was void of joy. He spoke of how you can't trust anybody anymore. It's hard, this world is. When I tried to leave, he insisted that I would stay. He was hungry for conversation. His fifth and last child had just left home. He said nothing about his marriage or his wife though family portraits covered the wall i want to move somewhere he mumbled leo was in an area of life an era of life when all you have to look forward to is death and all you have to look back on is memories to leo life was very real to leo life was very empty maybe it was unfair that i asked him such a painful question but i asked him anyway I said, Leo, if you could live your life all over again, would you do it? He looked at me. And this is where we are sometimes. And he looked at me, then he looked down the floor. No, I don't think I would. It's hard to live in light when we're covered in darkness. Elisha gave up his career, his family, everything that could have been important. And he followed Elijah. Judah, Judas could have done the same thing, but he abandoned it. 
Peter embraced him, even through his failures and even through the miserable things that he'd done and his denial. But he still ended correctly. And friend, you may be here this morning, and you may have failed miserably. Things are ugly. This past week was horrible. The past month, just some things happened that should have never happened. And you're ate up, and you feel like Judas, unworthy for him to love us, unworthy for him to embrace you back.